my eyes were closed. And I was just sitting, talking to God, asking Him and saying, Lord, just let me into the heavenlies. Let me into the divine place. I just want to come near where you are and just be near me. They said, reminding me where I stand, they said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, all you have to do is open up and let me come to where you are. And then all at once I was swept up out of the church, out of the seat of my body. It felt like every worry, every frustration, every weight that had been on my shoulders was lifted off. Like I had just broken through the constraints of the physical world and entered into true freedom for the first time in my life. This place was brighter than anything I had seen before. It was like standing on a star. It was more real than I could ever explain. And although I'd never been to this place before, I knew I was home. There was white light all around me, and it took my eyes a minute to get adjusted, but as I finally began to see clearly, I saw one man standing in front of me. It was my Jesus, my Savior, my Hero, my King, the one who sacrificed and made it possible for me to even come to this place. But he had scars. He had deep scars all over his face and neck from where his flesh had been torn and shredded by the crown of thorns and, and the whip that had struck him for my sake. He had scars on his hands, deep wounds from where the nails had torn through him. He said, he said, I'm so glad you're here. Finally, I've prepared a place for you. Come, let me show you. And he, he held out his hand for me to take hold of it and follow him. Just as my hand touched his, I gently ran my finger across the hole in his palm. And he paused. I looked up, and looking at the scars on his face and neck, I asked, did it hurt? And he turned toward me. He smiled knowingly and looked me up and down. And he looked all around at the place we were standing, seeming to just want to just take it all in. And he said, sincerely, it was worth it. It was worth it. He said, it was worth it. And to this day, I just can't get over the honesty in his voice. To think that the Son of God, the prophesied Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would look at me and think that I was worth the death he suffered. That with, with every blow, as the nails dug deeper into his hands and his feet, he was crying out, this is worth it. That with every crack of the whip, as it tore flesh from his back, he was crying out, this is worth it. Or that as the rod struck his head each time, driving the crown of thorns deeper into his skull, and as the guards mocked and spit on the Son of God, he would be looking steadfastly at the big picture, with eyes focused and mind made up, simply declaring, you are worth it. I don't want to overcomplicate things. I think we can tend to add so much to the simple truth of Christ's heart that we lose who he really is. I also think that we take this simple truth lightly because it seems cliche or like it's too good or too simple to be true. But it is the cry of my heart that this will really sink in and begin to bear down on what you think you know about Jesus and that your heart would be gripped and fascinated in the revelation of his hope for you. 
the simple truth of Christ's heart is that He loves you unconditionally, unrelentingly, and passionately. And that when He looks at you and remembers the blinding pain, the public humiliation, and the torturous death He suffered, He cannot help but cry out, You are worth it. You know, those words, you are worth it. And Jesus went through so much, so much for every one of us. And as we're going through Christmas, we're thinking about Jesus being born and his life and what he was on earth, what he is to us right now. We have to remember and never forget the price that he paid for every one of us, the price that he paid in his very blood for each one of us. And when he turns around to you, you first of all, I want you to understand, understand that you are worth it, that you were worth it. You were worth every drop of his blood. You were worth it. When he hung on that cross, you know, I honestly believe there weren't just crowds going through his mind. He wasn't just hanging on a cross seeing groups of people. Groups of people in churches, groups of people. He wasn't just hanging on a cross seeing thousands of people in nations all grouped together. But when he hung on that cross, I believe as he went through the darkest moments of his life, when the Father had to turn away from him, when the sin of the world was placed upon him, I believe that your face, your face passed by him. Your face came before his face. And I believe he looked into your face at that time and he said, you were worth it. You are worth it. What I'm about to do, you are worth it. And when I think of my Christian life and what Jesus has done for me, the price that he has paid for my very existence, and I think of the things that he asked of me, the life that he asked me to live, the the things that he asked me to do, the things that he asked me to sacrifice, the things that he asked me to do without, the pleasures of this life, the things that I would like to do but choose not to do because I'm saying to him every second of every day of my life, Jesus, you are worth it. You are worth it. You tell me, Jesus, that I am worth it that I was worth dying for. Jesus, you look into my eyes, me, a sinner, me, a woman that has failed you over and over and over and over again. Then the least that I can do, Jesus, is look back into your eyes and say, Jesus, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Jesus, you are worth everything that I have. You are worth it. Amen? You are worth it. You know, it says here in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Matthew 10.29-31 Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus gave everything to you 
He said, you are worth it. Amen? You are worth it. How much is he worth? Ephesians 4.1. This is Paul speaking as a prisoner for the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I'm speaking now to every age group, but my heart goes out to young people tonight because I'm telling you, you know, we've just given, you know, praise to Garth and Jamie leading SG Youth and leading you young people uh, this year into incredible places and how awesome a job they have done. But they cannot make decisions for you. Parents, you cannot make decisions for your young people. You know, God can't even make decisions for us because God has given us this beautiful gift. It's called free will. It's called free will. And he has given us, you know, we're giving gifts at Christmas, but what greater gift could God give us than his own son? He wrapped Jesus up in suffering. He wrapped Jesus up in persecution. He wrapped Jesus up in mockery. And he hung him on a tree. He hung him on a tree as a gift for you. That that he would come to you and say, this is free. My salvation to you is a free gift. It's free. But it's a worthy gift. It is so worthy. It should be treated as the most precious thing in your life that you have been given. It's something that you have to hold so carefully and treasure so much in your life. No matter what stage of your life you are in your Christian walk, No matter what age you are, this precious gift is just as precious to each and every one of us every single moment of every day. And every time you breathe, you should be saying, Jesus, you are worth it. Jesus, you are worth it. And when temptation comes knocking on your door and things come and try and draw you away, You know, you need to be able to stand. You need to be able to say to people around you, to friends, to other people, no, I choose not to do that. I choose not to go there. I choose not to watch that. I choose not to do that. Because I am saying to Jesus with my life, as he said to me with his life, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Do you know there's people watching you? How many people are going to go and visit unsaved family members over Christmas? Put your hand up. You know what? And they're going to be looking at you. And they're going to be looking at you to see if you drink too much. Because they're waiting to say, oh, that Christian, they reckon they're a Christian. Ha, ha, ha. They're watching to see if you're swearing. They're watching to see if you act like, you know, an idiot or whatever. If you're cursing, if you're gossiping, if you're slandering, um, if you treat people decently, if you're serving, if you're loving, if you're kind. 
they're looking for this stuff. They're looking for it. And, and, and it was only, only a, about a month ago, you know, one of the young people, Tash Roland, had this vision of these angels coming into our church and literally singing and dancing and bringing these baskets. And these baskets were baskets of fruit. And they were, they were actually putting them out on particular chairs. Fruits, fruit, fruit. And you know what they are? You know what they represent? They represent the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, suffer, long-suffering, and self-control. I always, that's the one I forget, isn't it? Yeah, but I do do it. They were putting them out on the, on the seats, these fruits of the Spirit. And they were dancing and they were singing as they were doing it. And when I told this to Phil, he said, well, that's fine that the angels put the fruits of the Spirit out on the seats, but unless the people choose to walk in the Spirit, to actually put the fruit on and to let the fruit come out, then the fruit will just sit on the seat. And I do believe that. I believe that. I believe that as you're sitting in these seats over the last month as we've been praying, that the fruit of the Spirit is beginning to get on you. And there's choices that you're beginning to make in your own lives that are saying to Jesus every day, you are worth it, Jesus. You are worth it. You are worth it. You are worth it, Jesus. You are worth not being popular for, seeing as everyone walked away from you for me. Amen? You are worth being made fun of, seeing everyone made fun of you for me. I mean... There's a scripture that says, you have not resisted, you have not been tempted and have not resisted temptation to the point of sweating blood yet. And yet Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane sweat his own blood. That's how much he was resisting for you, resisting his own will. And he says, Father, Father, let this cup pass from me. Father, let this cup pass from me. You know, there was times in Jesus' life as well where he struggled because he was as much man as he was God. He was as much human as he was supernatural and superhuman. But as he walked this earth, he was tempted like any other man. He was tempted like any other woman. And every day growing up, even as a young person, he had to make choices. The same way we make choices. He had to choose. He had to choose every day. And right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the whole of hell is coming against him, and he knows that he has to go through this torture, this absolute torture for you, he starts to drip blood. And that's an actual condition where your body is in so much stress that actually blood comes out of the pores. I don't think you've ever been under that much temptation. Oh, it was just too hard. It was just a little bit hard. I mean, I tried. I tried to resist. But, you know, there was one little drop of sweat came out, and but it wasn't blood. It wasn't blood. See, Jesus sweat his blood for you. He sweat his blood for you. You know, you are here on this earth church to represent him to represent him to the earth especially at this time of the year when people want to look at you 
And they want to see that you are worth dying for because they want to know that someone died for them. They want to know Jesus, if he died for you, then he could die for me. He could have died for me and and I want what you have. But if you're just the same, if when you go, you you just like put on, you know, your flesh and... And, and let the, you know, the, the, the flesh nature come out. You know, the opposing, the opposing uh, to the fruit of the Spirit is the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Let's just put up Galatians 5 for one minute, please. Sorry, I'm just going to go there. Because I'm mixing at the moment a couple of sermons that I was going to preach before. But I just want to bring this through. Galatians chapter 5. It's very quiet in here. I just have, I've had this so much on my spirit um, over the last month. Do you know what? You know, and I want to say this while they're finding that scripture. You know, it's okay for us to, you know, uh, point the finger at one another and go, oh, you know, so-and-so, they don't live a really good Christian life. Oh, you know, I saw them drunk the other night. I saw it on Facebook or whatever. I've heard the rumours too. I've heard the stories as well. But you know what? If we did as much praying for one another as we did about pointing and judging one another and going, oh, yeah, I've expected them to do that. Yeah, oh, yeah, young people or whatever or old people or whatever. You know, the scriptures tell us, when the disciples said, Jesus, how shall we pray? Jesus said, pray in this manner. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And he said to pray, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. He actually told us to pray that on a daily basis. And when was the last time mums and dads in the house, older people in the house, did you pray for the youth of our church that that they would be delivered from temptation that the evil one will be kept away from them. When's the last time you prayed that? I pray it every day for our young people, for you, for this church. Lord, keep temptation from them. Deliver them from evil. Amen. Because then it's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. Amen. And we can actually pray that the enemy is kept away. That we don't have to go through any more temptation that we need to go through. It's pushed away. Amen. And young people, pray for one another. Older people, pray for one another. Parents, pray for your children. No, don't just go, oh, well, they're teenagers. That's what they do. You know, they just do that stuff. They get it out of their system. No, they don't have to do that stuff. Pray for them that they they will be kept from temptation and deliver them from evil. Amen. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit, everyone say the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. In, in other words, you can't get enough of this stuff. And then just let's look at the, the flesh, the works of the flesh. The acts of the sinful nature or the works of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. New Testament. New Testament. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, if there were angels here putting fruit on these seats, we need to put that fruit on, amen. And over this Christmas period, it's not an excuse to just say, okay, let's just get in our flesh and have a few drunken orgies. And when when I say orgies, I know that that's... There is a right translation for that word, you know, and it just means it just means getting out of control. It can just be drunken out of controlness. Amen. Um, we don't need to be there. We need to be a light for Jesus. Amen. Because he's worth it. Everyone say, he's worth it. Philippians 1, 27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Colossians 1, 10 to 14. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us for the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, over this season, um, Pastor Phil and I and the leaders of this church, we want to urge you, we're urging you to live a life worthy of Jesus. To live a life worth, don't just say, well, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Live a life worthy of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 to 12. For you know that we dealt with each one of you as a father deals with his own children. Encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. And Acts 20, 24 says this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. When we stand before him, you know, there's going to come a time for all of us when we're just going to stand before him at the end of our days. We're going to stand there and Jesus is going to look at our, right into our eyes. And he's, he's going to say this. He's going to say, enter into salvation, good and faithful servant, because you were worth it. I died for you. And you're going to be able to look into the eyes of Jesus. You're going to be able to look into his eyes. And you're going to say, Jesus, I lived my life for you as a good and a faithful servant because you were worth it. Amen. You were worth it. Jesus, you are worth everything to us. And there's, listen, there's young people in this, in this room right now, and I know, let's just stand to our feet, I know God is calling you up higher. 
I know God is calling you up higher. There's other people God is calling you up higher. And I'm asking you right now, just every eye closed right across this place. Why don't you just get real with God right now? And maybe there's things that you have compromised on, you know, in a moment of weakness. And you've said, Lord, you know, I really didn't honor you right there. Jesus, I actually probably dishonored you. And so right now, Lord, we're just coming. We're asking forgiveness. Why don't you just do that right now? Why don't you just ask forgiveness as the worship team comes? Lord, we just ask your forgiveness, God. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And we so, we so want to say to you, Jesus, that you're worth it. You're worth everything. Thank you, Jesus, right now that you died for us, that you died for our sin, that you died for our temptation. Lord Jesus, that you made a way for us. And Lord, we want to honor you. We want to declare that you are worthy by choosing over this Christmas break to live a life worthy of the call of God that's on our lives. Lord, those people right in this room that know that God's calling them to higher places, Lord, I pray right now that they would say, Jesus, it's all for you. It's all for you, Jesus. It's all for you. For you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, Jesus. You deserve all glory. You deserve all honor. You deserve all praise, Jesus. And we give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.